Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Times have changed, everybody, and I want people to think 20 years ago when you were at a conference, one of the first things that would happen is you'd get those old, salty financial advisors, mostly men, who would talk about that they wore all of the hours that they worked like a badge of honor, and it was this thing to, you know, I'm the hardest working person. Well, that stuff is changing, and it's changing not just because people don't want to die at their desk like they used to, but also because of people like my guest. So my guest today is Matthew Jarvis. He's co-founder of The Perfect RIA and president of Jarvis Financial. You need to go, when you stop, uh, not driving, please don't do this while you're driving, to uh, matthewjarvis.com. Great website. We're going to talk a lot about what he does as a financial advisor and also what he can do for you as a financial advisor to find out a little bit more about how you can have better balance in your life. Matt, welcome to the show. Matt, thanks so much for having me. You guys have a great podcast here. It's a real honor to, uh, to be on here and deliver value to your listeners. Well, I love what you do and I love how you do it and I love how you even position all of it. So let's start at the beginning. One, why in God's name are you a financial advisor? <laughs> why in God's name? Well, I, I tell my friends now it pays well and it lets me do what I want to do. Early on back in 2003, I started working with my dad who had a primarily insurance-based practice. Long story short, we, uh, we suffered for a lot of years till like about 2008. You may recall the financial crises that were kind of forgotten it now in a COVID era. And dad got real sick, had to retire. He's better now. And I was kind of at this crossroads. It was like, wow, we were losing a ton of money. We had a terrible practice. And I was either going to quit or do all the things that I knew I needed to do, but was afraid to do them before. I burned the proverbial ships. And, and here I am today. It was kind of a, a hockey stick trajectory from there. How did you do it? How did you burn the bridge and hockey stick it? Boy, uh, Matt, some of that was just pure desperation. I mean, I, I was counting down the months until I was going to be out of credit card limits. I had no cash flow left. I had no debt left. And it was kind of either I'm going to go out in a burst of flames or I'm going to slowly burn to death. Neither one sounds good. I might as well go for it. And so we did things like, all right, everyone has to pay an AUM fee now. And we can't work for free. And we can't worry about updating the number of American funds fact sheets. That will date myself perhaps as an old salty advisor. We, we, we can't spend time updating the number of fact sheets we have in the file. We've got to streamline everything. More than anything, we've got to quit working for free. You have this thing, right? It's, it's, the, it's the thing. And you're getting a hell of a following, dude. I mean, you really are. You've got a lot of attention from a lot of people. I mean, I mean, Kitsis hearkens to you. Kitsis doesn't hearken to many, my friend. <laughs> but he hearkens to you, which is awesome. Uh, you know, when people are asking about, you know, being younger advisors and getting into the business and how they should set stuff up. Talk about the epiphany that you had. How long had you finally gotten on your feet before you opened up the perfect RIA? So I was on Michael Kitsis's podcast in 2017. And as a result of that, a, an advisor, Micah Shalansky, called me out of the blue and he says, I thought it was the only lifestyle advisor in the world because right now everyone's talking about lifestyle. Just three years ago, no one talked about it. It, it, was, it was a point of shame almost. And he says, I have never met anybody like me. You sound like you're like me. And, and we got together and actually in a bar in Boulder, Colorado, we recorded the first episode of the Perfect RA podcast. The editing team would not produce it, by the way. They're like, guys, it's pretty clear you were drunk on this podcast. We cannot air it. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah. So that was it. So, I mean, you guys just like came out of the podcast and all of a sudden, I mean, you started growing. And so we kind of started recording the podcast and advisors flocked to it and they said, wow, no one's talking about lifestyle, but very few people are talking about delivering massive value. The industry studies say you can't operate at north of a 50% profit margin and yet we're doing it and we're taking a six months off work a year. So people are really fascinated by that. And so now the podcast has got a huge following. What we call the backstage pass is a huge membership. We're just inking a deal to do a conference, a mastermind conference next year. So we're staying really busy and it's, it's really just been a heck of a lot of fun, Matt. It's almost like the podcast is really, this sounds cliche, it's a message back to my earlier self. Like what, what do I desperately wish somebody would have told me in 2003 or five or eight versus what I know now? Well, and that's one of the greatest things I think about podcasting is the archiving of information. Kirk and I, our first podcast was called Mod Marketing, Marketing for the 21st Century. Uh, I came up with that. He didn't like that idea. <laughs> he thought it was a terrible brand, and it was, by the way. But we went back and listened to some of those. And Matt, they were horrible. I mean, they were just terrible, terribly produced. You know, we're talking over each other all the time. And, and now, luckily, I think we've, we've gotten a little bit better, much like you have. But when you say massive value, one of the biggest frustrations that we have when we're working with a financial advisor who wants to start their own podcast, we talk to them about what makes them unique and different. And they always say, well, it's my service. And then I ask them, well, what does that mean? And they can't really describe it. Now, you just said something, I'm totally, I'm totally picking on you here a little bit, is this idea of massive value. Quantify for me. And two, what the heck does that mean? Well, this is a lesson that I learned out of desperation in the state of Washington, where I'm located. When I first started in the industry, we were charging AOM fees. The state of Washington, in their infinite wisdom, said the line item on the client statement showing that your fee was deducted is not enough. You need to send them a letter detailing your invoice every single quarter. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. But if I'm going to tell the client in detail what they're paying each quarter, then I want to make sure that they saw something valuable that quarter. I'm th kind of thinking that they have a 90-day memory. It's a 90-day fee. So we would, with every invoice that went out each quarter, include some kind of value add, like a review of their beneficiaries or of their tax document or of their tax strategy or their estate plan. But it became a forcing mechanism. I thought, I'm never going to send a client an invoice, even though it was being deducted. I'm never going to send them an invoice unless there's something valuable with that. So they might not say, wow, this alone is worth my fee. But they'll say, wow, Matthew is proactively delivering value. And I can see it. And I can see it when my fee is being deducted. Now, that's, that's value. I will totally freaking give you that. That's fantastic. But you use the word massive, dude. So let's talk about how has that converted into massive value? I want to look at massive value as I'm bringing things to the client's attention that they didn't know before. So if I'm talking to them about making a $5,000 Roth con contribution, that's not valuable. They, they know that, right? That's, that's widespread. I'm talking about being diversified. They know that that's widespread. If I'm saying, hey, you know what? In seven years, your required distribution is going to be $83,000 a year because you're sitting on $2 million and you're going to get nailed in taxes and we can mitigate that if we do a couple things. That is value, right? I'm making them aware of things that they didn't know and I'm saving them time because there's nothing I know that Google doesn't know. What Google hasn't yet figured out, and yet is the key word here, is how to be very specific with that advice and how to trim through all of the volumes of information to get what they need. How do you market? I mean, if you're taking six months off a year, it's got to be some point where you're replacing assets that you're using with distribution or if a client dies or for some reason a client leaves. What is your primary mode of marketing? My two top sources for new clients, one is networking, and I'll explain how I do that. The other is centers of influence. And I always heard advisors talk about centers of influence, and then I would find out that they're not actually getting any referrals from centers of influence. Like every expert, like, go out and talk to your CPAs and ask for referrals. And then every advisor I talk to, and Matt, I'd be curious if your experience is different. They say, I send tons of business to CPAs. I send tons of business to attorneys. I get no referrals. I've actually worked with CPAs, and I've also coached and consulted estate planning attorneys. 
And at their national conferences, there will be CPAs on stage who will say, string them along. And your goal is to get five to 10 financial advisors who think that you're going to, or that you're going to refer your business to them. And of course they don't, right? And so, well, and we've solved that problem too, but I want to talk about your solution first. So, so what do you do with COIs to make them actually refer you business? If I call a CPA and I say, hey, I want to talk to you, and then really I want to ask for business, I'm probably the 1,000th advisor that's called that day with that same value proposition. And then when I show up with my Morningstar reports and my Money Guide Pro reports, I look like every single other advisor. And of course, even if they wanted to send out referrals to advisors, they can't tell you from anybody else. So the strategy that I implemented years ago was I would call them and I would say, hey, I am looking for CPAs to whom I can refer my clients. And they say, yeah, of course, this is what every advisor tells me. Uh, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to send you any referrals. And so I want to pay for the hour of your time. I want to, whatever your hourly rate is, I'm going to pay for the hour of your time. Now, immediately I've catapulted myself to a level that no other advisor is at. And Matt, as you know, working with CPAs, they're forever struggling to get paid. So I'm like the first person ever to call them to be like, hey, listen, whatever your hourly rate is, I want to pay it right away. I have not heard that technique. I'm telling you, brother, I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't heard that technique. What is that, 150 bucks, 250 bucks? Let's call it a high-end one and they're charging four or 500 bucks. That's cheap marketing in the scheme of things. Now I go in there and I have the check already made out, right? And I know it's weird to have checks. It's already made out. I sit on the desk. I say, I appreciate your scheduling. Here's my check. I've got 10 questions I want to ask you. That way I know to whom you're a good fit. And these are intelligent questions. They're questions like, how do you decide which clients get filed on times and which ones get on extension? What do financial advisors do that drive you crazy, right? What can I do to make your job easier? What are your thoughts on Roth conversions and different age brackets? So I'm going through those. That takes exactly half the time, not by accident. And I'm taking notes the whole time in front of them. They see me writing down my notes. And I say, if you don't mind, we still have a couple of minutes. I'd like to explain to you how we help clients make an educated and informed decision about our firm. And I walk through that quickly and I thank them for their time. And I say, hey, would it be okay if I paid you for an hour of your time in the future to review cases together? And again, this whole time they're like, their mind is blown. I never ask for referrals. I never say, write down five names. I never say, will you promise? None of that because I'm a professional. And I don't want to sound like every other advisor that's walked in there. So here's what we do. We invite the CPA on a podcast and we ask them those same intelligent questions and really highlight what their area of expertise is. And then we say, all we ask of you to be on the podcast is that you share this podcast with your network. Now, here's the deal. It's a 30 minute commercial about how awesome they are as an accountant, right? Or a CPA. So you know uh, that they're going to share it. And we also provide our clients with social media posts to share with the CPA. So it makes it even easier for them to share. But it's the same sort of idea. You have to do something fundamentally unique and different because if you don't, then you're going to sound like the schlub that's right down the street. I'm a professional too, brother. I don't want to come across as being a schlub or a shill or any other word like that. I want to be adding real value. And I want to add value in a way that makes you feel as special as you really should be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have the second question there. So you said networking, what does that mean? Half of my new business comes from centers of influence, half comes from my networking, which I've gotten clients from rock climbing, from mountain biking, from dirt biking, from flying airplanes, from boating, from partying, from going to Vegas, like anything you can imagine, I've gotten clients from that. Now where I have not got clients, Chamber of Commerce, Rotary Club, other networking meat markets, zero luck there, absolutely zero. Now I did it for like 10 years before I figured that out. But for example, bulk of my clients came from the local hospital foundation. We had a community-based hospital, which is unusual today, but we had one. 
And I was really passionate about our community. And so I went and did a lot of work with the community foundation. Now, what most advisors do and realtors and mortgage brokers and bankers, they hand out business cards and they try to get everybody to come for a second opinion. I do none of those things. In fact, when people say, hey, Matthew, what do you, what do, you do for work? You know what? I run an investment firm. And either they were just being polite and they move on to the next person or they're curious. They'll say, you mean like a hedge fund? No, actually. So like when someone's ready to retire and they don't want to get killed in taxes, that's where I help. I want to add something to that because we've had really great success with some of our clients. When somebody says, what do you do for a living? Their answer is, I run a financial education podcast. I love that. And then people are like, what do you mean? Well, you know, I, I have a podcast that comes out twice a month and my goal is to educate the general public on how to make wise financial decisions. And then that leads, of course, to, wow, you do that for a living? I mean, that's my primary means of communication, what I do, but, you know, I still run a financial services company. And then that leads to a different conversation. But I'm already four questions deep before I say I'm a financial advisor, which immediately you're right. I love Matt and I, I don't want to hijack your, your pockets here, but each time you had permission to elaborate, right? So you said, hey, I run this financial education podcast. A friend of mine, Benjamin Brent, he says, I teach people to retire. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So either they're curious and they give you permission to tell more or they're not, in which case you're going to waste your breath. We believe that you have to date. It's very frustrating because that's not what's happened in, in, in financial services. It's been, I'm going to close you. I'm going to close you. I'm going to learn that perfect sentence. But that's not how things are. This is a relationship-driven business. And Matthew, getting back to what you were saying, the way that you're growing your business is being yourself, doing things that you love with people who love the same thing as you. Why is this such a mind-boggling thing for other advisors? Help me with that. Well, I'll confess I've made all the mistakes. So, for example, I joined the golf club in town, but I don't golf. That didn't work. I joined the yacht club, but I didn't own a yacht. Also didn't work because, to your point, that wasn't the authentic me. Like, I stood out like a sore thumb. Like, who is this guy? He doesn't fit. He must be here to sell us. Therefore, let's keep our distance. And they were right, by the way. I was only there because I thought I was going to sell people, and that, to your point, didn't work. One of our old clients, when I worked at a consulting company, uh, he was like 70 years old and he lived in Colorado and every year he would do a whitewater rafting trip and he was the freaking guy, dude. So he's Perfect. like navigating the boat and everything and, or the raft and he had a waiting list because the only way you could come was to bring a friend. And he was very specific with, look, look, I'm, you know what, this is an experience. If you know somebody who loves whitewater rafting, they're going to have the best experience. And they did. He's got pictures. And this is the best part, man. He had pictures of clients smiling from ear to ear, prospects ear to ear, because they were having so much fun and they'll never, they're never going to forget that. And so when they need financial services, well, I spent well, a life-threatening opportunity with this guy. So therefore I'm going to do that. Now, does that limit you, though, to like a specific age demographic? Because it sounds like some of the things that you do, you'd have to be a little younger to execute. Yeah, so that's where you've got to be smart about your hobby, right? I never go rock climbing after work. I go rock climbing during the day. The local climbing gym, I'm there at 9 or 10 in the morning. When who's there? The other entrepreneurs that can sneak out at 9 or 10 are the guys that are getting ready to retire. So I'm very intentional about matching what I love to do with my target market. And I want to stress that you don't have to start big. I, I loved your client's example of the whitewater rafting. You don't have to start by chartering five boats. You could start by just saying, all right, when is my target market going whitewater rafting? 
or just find who in my target market enjoys whitewater rafting and how can I connect? How can I reach out to Dr. Bob and say, hey, Dr. Bob, I heard that you like whitewater rafting. I also like, I found this trip I'm going to go on. If you're interested, I'd love to have you join me. Well, I remember Ron Carson speaking from the stage about the things that he was so passionate about when I worked with him. He would say it over and over and over again, you know, find the things that you're passionate about. He called it passion prospecting. Do those things with people who are like-minded. For some reason, it would just like go over advisors, heads, left, right. Matt, Matt, I just don't understand how to do that. Now, part of it is some people don't have huge hobbies. And I get that, you know, they're very focused on work and I, I, I understand that. But it's unbelievable. Any hobby you have, there are people of means who love that. Yes. I knew a guy who loved model trains. Okay. Oh, sure. Great one. And you know what? Some of those trains are freaking expensive, dude. And it takes a very, very specific kind of person. And when this advisor went out and started talking about it, he found out that there were a lot of people. And then he did what you do. You know, he got involved in the organizations of model trains, and then he became like the model train freaking financial advisor. Sweet. All of his A-plus clients were people who loved trains. And you know what? That's what they talked about. They didn't talk about the performance against the S&P and, you know, any of my rates of return or why did you sell me this or whatever. It was like, hey, dude, let's talk about trains. Oh, how am I doing? You're doing fine. Okay, let's talk about trains. And that's the way that I believe that not only can you have a lifestyle practice, I think there's two factors of a lifestyle practice. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert in this. One, <laughs> doing what you love with the people that love the same thing as you do, because then it's not work, it's energy giving, but then having the opportunity to take substantial amounts of time off, which is my last question before I have a couple other salty questions I want to ask you, but how in the heck can you take so much time off and maintain such a high profitability? real high levels of efficiency. Forcing mechanism is really just to be out of the office. I started taking a lot of time out of the office because uh, an advisor mentor of mine, he says, Matthew, you should count each year the number of days you take out of the office. And so as the old cliche goes, as soon as I measured it, it started increasing. And so the first year I measured it, it was only like 30. I've had it up as high as 140 days, not counting weekends. I beat out Dan Sullivan. I, meet, I met Dan Sullivan. He's a big advocate of free days. I said, Dan, how many free days do you take? And I can't remember his number. I think it was like 60 or 70s. I've taken 70 every year for the last 30 years. I said, Dan, I took 158 if you count weekends. Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> for example, one of my first big things was I went to China for three weeks with my family several years ago, pre-coronavirus. And so I said, great, if I'm going to be out of internet and out of cell phone for three weeks, I got to get everything set up so that it will work while I'm gone. And so things that I had been putting off doing for years, I had to fix or I couldn't leave on the trip, like if a client calls for distribution, how are we going to handle that? Well, if that has to run across my desk. We're going to have a problem for three weeks. And I just went through each of these things and said, there's got to be a way to do them without me touching them. On your FAQ page, which is awesome, by the way, how can we know if your systems will work in our practice? And your answer is magnificent. We don't know. Dude, thank you for your honesty with that. I really appreciate it. Some people think that there can be a cookie cutter approach, but do you help them fit into their practice in your consulting gig? Yeah, you know, if I was even a little bit more honest in the FAQ, I could probably say with some certainty that they won't work in your practice because you are different than me. If you're like, well, Matthew says he gets clients rock climbing, I'm going to take a rock climbing. That's not going to work for you. Same with scripts. I'm, I'm working on a book right now. And every time there's a script, I, I say, hey, you have to say this like you would say this, not like I would say this. Otherwise, it immediately becomes robotic. I provide comprehensive strategies and, and people see right through that. It's one of the reasons why I don't like it when people uh, come to a podcast with notes. Mm. Then it sounds really rote and doesn't sound passionate. And I don't want that. I want levels of passion like what you have. So you're writing a book. If there was a book, which there could be, 
that you would say, man, I really wish every single solitary young advisor or financial services professional would read this book, what would it be? Everything Nick Murray has ever written. It's like my, it's like my spiritual leader. I, I actually just recorded a podcast about when Nick Murray told me personally to not come to his next conference because my business plan was that bad. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I have have an email from Nick Murray saying you should not come to my conference because you're wasting all your time playing business and you need to go out and prospect and coming to my conference will not help you. Now talk about you. You mentioned my FAQ said, Hey, maybe these strategies will work. Nick's like, this will not work for you. You need to go out and prospect and then call me. And it broke my heart because he was my hero, but it was in fact the tough love I need. And anybody who follows Nick Murray knows that he's all about tough love. And it transformed my practice. And years later, I went back and I've been to several of his conferences. But yeah, Behavioral Investment Management, I think, is the book by Nick Murray. I read it at least once a year. You got a greenhorn person who, you know, is ready to sit for their CFP. They passed their 7 or 65 or whatever. They've got their life health and annuities license. If you were able to say, hey, you know what, do this, what would it be? Find an advisor whose practice you want to duplicate. Right now, don't reach out to Ron Carson, for example. If you're saying, I'm going to go from a greenhorn to a $100 billion office, that's not. But find someone, whoever's at, my, at the next level where I want to be and figure out a way to be mentored by them. Now, don't just abuse their time, right? Can I come mow your, if you don't have money, say, can I come mow your lawn on Saturdays? And while, I'm, I'm not even joking about this. And while I'm mowing your lawn, would you tell me how you do what you do? And then whatever they say, do that. And I, I always joked with my mentors, if you tell me that the secret to success was you wearing purple suits and pink underwear, I will go to work in a purple suit and pink underwear. But find somebody who has the success that you want and do whatever it takes to learn from them. That could quite possibly be the most consistent advice I've heard from successful people since we've been doing this podcast and since I've been coaching is always trying to find a mentor. Try to find somebody who is going to take you under their wing and help guide you. Thank you for saying that again, because I think people need to hear that. And the best part about it is a lot of advisors want to do that, right? They want to be your mentor. They want to give back because they are true professionals and they're going to give you that unfettered Nick Murray love, yeah. which is what most of us need. A good little slapping around every once in a while. That's right. Before we really get into this, I forgot to ask you the question that I've, I said I was going to ask you at the beginning, which is how do you measure success? What does success mean to you? For me, success is being on a journey that I enjoy. And that sounds really high level. And when I talk to guys that are at my level, that's a similar discussion. When, when I heard that when I was young in my practice, I hated that advice. I'm like, I don't, I don't care about the purpose of life. I just want to pay my mortgage. But for me, it's, yeah, it's like, what, what journey can I be on that I enjoy? This podcast, I enjoy being on this podcast with you. It makes me think. We're, we're, we're passionate about success. That is success. Right now, this is a successful day for me. I'm actually, this is my last thing I'm going to do today. And I'm not trying to flatter you, Matt. I'm like, this is what I live for. I live to help other advisors and talk to other people that are passionate about taking it to the next level. He didn't say a number. <laughs> he didn't say I'm going to be happy when I have 3 million in recurring revenue, 5 million, 10 million. You have to realize that success truly isn't something that is quantifiable, is not a finish line because that finish line is always going to move. It has to be something that feeds your soul and makes it so that you will wake up tomorrow understanding that you are making progress towards and in your situation, it's the journey. Okay, brother. So, you know, we have a pretty wide base of listeners. What sort of advisor should engage you or should be, uh, you know, checking out your free resources and stuff that's on your website? 
Yeah, I'm only going to use one second for this because I want to give one other piece of advice. And, and I would just say go check out theperfectria.com and the Perfect RA podcast. And if, and if that sounds groovy to you, then you'll figure out how to, how to get a hold of us. Go to jarvisfinancial.com, click on the sleep on it tab, and look at how I've clearly outlined the process to prospects on how they can decide to work with me. I want to stress that because most advisors' websites, most advisors' prospect process is really just hoping and praying that the person will like you. And that doesn't work. It sets you up for terrible rejection, right? Look how that walks them through. Copy that. Put it on your website. Adapt it for your use. I wish that was like if someone would have told me that 10 years ago, it would have saved me so much pain and suffering. But the sleep on it process, adapt something similar or even something better. But make sure you've got a process that's clearly articulated for how people decide if you're a good advisor. Don't rely on your good looks. Maybe you're good looking. I'm not. That might work for you. Maybe that's why I need a process. But, but please, please, please. Have your website say something more than we're really great. And we will make sure that we have links to all of those, including your podcast, in our show notes. Matthew Jarvis, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Hey, it was really my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Let's do this again sometime. All right. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And if you have any topic ideas or guest ideas, or if you want to find out a little bit more about who we are and what we do here at Top Advisor Marketing, all you have to do is email me, Matt, at topadvisorm, that M is for marketing.com. So for Matthew Jarvis and all of us here at Top Advisor Marketing, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best-kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information.